think that's what makes it very interesting. Just like there's this renaissance, if you want to call it or whatever, where people are trying to like get back. And I think it also comes from realizing that systems like capitalism are not conducive and they're not sustainable. Mm -hmm. And so my like deep belief is that the ways of our ancestors were always ahead of their time. Mm. You know, so now you can you operate within capitalism and you realize that it's not sustainable, which means you have to think about other systems. And then when you go back to indigenous systems, you realize that they were always with the consideration of the planet, the oceans, mm. the birds, the bees, the people. Everybody was considered in that kind of way of life. And I think that's what people are trying to to sit in and to like find themselves deeper within. Mm. Yeah. This is the Freedom After podcast by the Nelson Mandela Foundation. My name is Nawo Mohopa, and you're listening to Vuyiswa Kagatwane. My name is Vuyiswa Kagatwane, and I. I'm a writer. Mm. <laughs> I always say I'm a retired writer because I don't write like commercially or professionally anymore, but I write mm. still. Mm. Um, so I'm a writer. I come from a writing background, um, but I'm also more popularly known these days as Goko Mahlodi. Mm. So I'm also a traditional healer. Isangoma working in Johannesburg, and I've been working in Johannesburg for about four years now. I'm in the ancient practice of healing, which thousands of years old, and I'm just one moment a long time you know mm-hmm. um and so i come into this very very old practice in this modern time mm-hmm. and i think that's like how does this old ancient deeper thing come and meet the needs because also my work is to serve the community in which i i function in so how do i serve this modern community mm-hmm. how do i serve young people mostly young people those are the people i work with um, but yeah, I'm a writer in Isangoma, working in Johannesburg, and yeah, from Joburg, I'm like born, raised in Johannesburg, so this is yeah. my homeland. <laughs> Same. Um, yeah. I wanted to double click on, on something you said just now about um, spiritual practice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I'm curious about your relationship with the calling um, and that process. I think a lot of people um, that have had the calling, at least, they talk a lot about kind of those that moment, what it meant for them. Um, So yeah, I'm curious what it meant for you. I grew up in a predominantly, or like the the overarching narrative around spirituality was Christianity in Mm -hmm. my home, you know? And it was only when I was 27 years old that I started to have these dreams. And the dreams themselves were quite specific in terms of like the symbolism. There were healers, there were beads, there were like water, different kinds of things that just suggested to me that this was like a spiritual thing, right? But I didn't have the background for that. I didn't grow up in a family where we spoke about that, where we engaged healers or we engaged that part of our spirituality, right? So I come into this place at like 27 years old don't really know where to place myself and also my understanding even though I hadn't engaged like African spirituality or Ubungoma particularly I knew that it was an ancestral gift I knew that it had to come from somewhere so this was the beginning of me asking questions around like were there healers in my family before me were there other people and 
my parents denied it, but they were. Wow. <laughs> um, and so I think that was the first kind of place of my, sorry, my own unlearning, you know, um, because I came from this particular narrative and now, and also like city life outside of like Christianity, but like there's a lot about city life that just like removes you from this indigenous and ancient way of life. I think people in rural areas, it's still a, a normal part of their life. Like mm -hmm. there isn't this like, oh, modern Sangoma thing that we have here in the city. Mm -hmm. So like around language, around just thinking about things, you know, um, I think one of the like the interesting lessons for me was around how Ubuntu and Isindu is so concerned with the collective, whereas in the city and capitalism and those kinds of like modes of operation are more about the individual. And so mm. that was like, so like I'm saying there was the language, but there was also just like a way of being and participating and understanding who I am in the larger context, you know, of the world, of my environment, that I had to like now start to unearth and unlearn and those kinds of things. So it was rough. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine? It was rough, but I mean, six months later, we got through it and we realized, you know, mm. that, and also when you are Isangoma, like I am, you were born with that gift. So it's not like something mm. that I then discovered when I was 27. It's something that was dormant in me until I suppose the ancestors felt that it was time to then bring me into the picture and then they can continue with their work you know it was very difficult but I'm still like un undoing and unlearning and figuring things out I think the thing that makes it really interesting though is that I'm also Isangoma in a time where young black people all over the world not just in Joburg not just in South Africa have this very strong yearning to connect with their ancestors and to connect like with ancient traditions you know and I think then that gives me a particular kind of role to sort of not be the bridge but the the guide you know like my job is only to enlighten and to guide people one of the things that um i, I think at least two of, of some of the discussants and the speakers on the podcast were exploring and struggling with you know is this perceived conflict between christianity and african spirituality mm. and i was curious on, on your on your thoughts on on that kind of conversation and yeah. discourse in that way you go through this moment where you're like i hate the system i'm fighting the system you know all this shit and wada, wada, wada. and then so christianity was that thing for me and the church was that for me right and i was like now that I'm in and I've been initi initiated into this particular process, I understand why the church was so like opposing and I couldn't find my place and blah, blah, blah. But it's the same people who took me out of the church that led me back to the church, which is my ancestors. <laughs> oh, right? wow. And not necessarily like the church as an institution, but the spirituality of what it offers. There's a lot of ritual work. There's a lot of like ancient kind of herbs and medicines that are used in the church as well you know um, if you think of, of prayers and incantations as spell work as well you know so the traditions of the church have something to lend us but also I think the, the, the story in an African context has always been that Christianity and the church came through colonization which I think is only just a kind of church or a kind of Christianity because mm -hmm. They've always had a refer reverence for a god outside of our ancestors. And I think that's also where people get like confused that you worship and you pray to your ancestors. But we understand that our ancestors are an intermediary, but that there is also a higher power or there's a source to everything. And there's all sorts of names for that. They've been those names, you know. And in my practice, then I've had to 
yes i have like the ubungo on my side which works with like herbs and particular kind of like ethno medicine and that kind of stuff but then there's also a part in my spirituality and in my practice that says we work with candles we work with prayer we work with water we work with certain kind of garments you know garments from the bible or those kinds of things so um i've had to like swallow my red calism <laughs> <laughs> because i've been led back to this place you know and mm. to like also understand the institution from what, for what it is but to also have a clear understand understanding of the spirituality that exists within that mm. you know so even if you think about if you come from a family where your grandfather was a pastor that becomes an ancestral gift on its own people standing mm. on the pulpit is a calling an ancestral calling you know and so if we have that understanding and i think like you're saying for a lot of us it's like an opposing thing but i've come to understand that with truth you know these things can stand together but in this kind of like institutionalized way that churches and christianity and all other religions actually i don't even just want to say christianity the way that they work then the truth is of always not, is not always present you know it's more like a there's something that we are like invited to buy into or whatever as opposed to just like the truth of the relationship that we have with God or mm. the lessons of the bibles i keep saying to people like jesus was a healer i don't know who they think he was <laughs> you know like if yes. if there was the narrative then i think a lot of us would understand that you know and would have but yeah i think you have to sort of um understand the institution mm. on its own and then look deeper than that than the building than the pastors than the rules than all of that but like the ancient and deep traditions of that you know mm. yeah i'm curious about um some of your reflections on people's needs right now um mm. in, in this community of course and, you know not asking you to you know what's the word i don't know what the word is but you know that word yeah. break ndas <laughs> but um yeah over, over the past four years working in johannesburg mm. um are there threads are there commonalities um what's your what's your reflections on um people's space right now mm. and people's hopes and desires right now yeah i think people want community mm. i think that's what people want because this like need to be in touch with your ancestors or with even living ancestors which are like elders in your family you know is like so deep and again because we're realizing that this individualistic kind of narrative that capitalism gives us is not sustainable you know um and i think even the idea of community a lot of people maybe have associations and not necessarily community and then people are realizing that ah. that this is not my community these are people that i'm associated with because of maybe I don't know a job or education mm. or a location you know but what I'm actually looking for is community and I think again it also like the root of that starts also with like our family setups so in indigenous cultures all over the world Chinese Indian African the idea of a nuclear family is not really a thing you know and that's where like the first community starts that like yes you have your parents but you have your grandparents you have ubabumkhulu ubabumncane which is an older father and a younger father which are your your father's brothers you know you have aunts who are also your other mothers you have you know all these other people and i think in this 
matrix that we are in where it's like both of your parents are working you're a child whatever whatever there's like other things that people are not able to access and to receive and that's also around indigenous knowledge right like your identity um your understanding of your environment you know basic things like that to know that like that tree when you walk out of your house can help you with a particular kind of ailment you know those are things that your grandmother would know or if you have a particular kind of dream then she would know or your uncle would know or somebody would know so i think people are are looking for community and when they come they think that maybe they have a calling or whatever but this yearning and this disease i call it like a disease that people have mm-hmm. is actually like from isolation and not having real community and i think that's the crisis that people are facing right now women and queer people are more likely to come into my practice than men for example oh. you know so there's a certain kind of pe- person maybe i'll say that is more willing to investigate or more willing to engage and to be uncomfortable or to be vulnerable actually i think that discomfort comes from vulnerability but there are certain people who are more willing to be vulnerable and then are able to do the work as opposed to others who then are just stuck in that place of disease you know yeah it makes you think of um psychology and therapists as well you know how we see like very low rates of men kind of going there and how the rates of male suicide are skyrocketing yep. you know what i yep. mean one of the things that you kind of mentioned here was something that i was really fascinated by i think when i learned it i think i knew i was queer from maybe like you know the endish of high school somewhere there but ever since because i i, I went to such a a boy school that had a very clear mission of creating men and a particular kind of masculinity and tradition and you know british things mm. <laughs> and i remember reading about you know gender and butler and, and those kinds of things but um someone was talking about gender in africa and so they were describing a couple of things the first thing that they described was indotagazi Mm. and kind of articulated that as female husbandry mm. you know and how that is a practice that takes place in Africa but then look at the gender complexity that is around the notion of undotagazi you know mm. female husbandry in that way and then also looked at maskandi dancers and singers in that way you know also kind of pier- piercing through mm. these settled assemblages of what it means to be ma- man yes. you know what i mean that way and then the other point that they made was about the gendered complexity or the mm. complexity of gender mm. with these ngoma as well yeah. and I was wondering if you had a comment there ubungoma is a particular vocation in the larger conversation of african spirituality a practitioner within african spirituality but african spirituality is not ubungoma i think maybe i want to start there with in the context of isinto that you are valuable as a person first not like your gender and even the idea of gender has always been fluid the way that people were separated and were identified was based on what they contribute to the community so because you are of a particular build then you would be at war or hunting or whatever yeah. and because you were of a particular nature and build then you would be at home on the farms or whatever but if you were maybe a man or what we understand today to be a man who had the characteristics and the nature of a woman then you would be welcome on the farms and on the fields and in the kitchen and at home with the children and if you were a woman who was slightly more masculine then you would be welcome on the field you know so even the way that in our language we speak about people there there isn't really like this he's and her you know mm. like kimoto kismangmang mm-hmm. you know so i think the the idea of gender as a determining factor of your value as a person is a western import 
you know you are valued as a person first and then like what is your contribution to to the space mm-hmm. you know in ubungoma then so i'm goko mahlodi right but even men who are initiated are called abogogo so goko is not just a term for women you know and mkulu is also not just a term for men but it's like I think like I also like to talk about it even in this idea so Tandiswa does it Beyonce does it this idea of like a king yeah. right of like I I can be a king because of what a king means and represents mm. so I can be a goko because of what a goko represents not because of what I look like I can be a mkulu because of it, like there's no less than or more than mm. you know what I mean like mm. it's more about the role and what you do so if you are initiated in a initiation school where they use the term umkhulu it doesn't depend on whether you're a man or woman but even for me to be ukoko mahlodi is because of the old people the ancient people that I'm with I'm not the goko I mean I am but I'm not you know mm-hmm. what I mean I do. like goko is goko mahlodi she's my mother's grandmother so she's an elder and so I come as an avatar and a representation of those elders and that's mm-hmm. why I'm called goko mahlodi but even the 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 old men that are with me yeah get referred to as goko somebody mm. you know not mkulu somebody because they are men mm. so the idea i think of gender as a defining thing mm. is limited by western and colonial kind of like framework or pers- mm. perceptive whereas for us it's more about what that means what it means to be a man in your community what it means to be a woman mm. not necessarily if you look like a woman or if you look like a man if the the work of men is to go out and hunt mm. and you go out in your hunt then you are referred to as insizwa or whatever yeah. you know and if you stay with the woman there kuhaye then you are referred to as bomme or as part of that collective mm. and even that like your your existence is not in isolation mm. you know it's mm. part of a, a larger collective so you also get grouped in that kind of way based on again mm. where you fit and where you work and where you contribute mm. yeah mm. I want to kind of double click on this word community, you know, and especially in the NGO space, it, it's become some kind of code for code for poor people, you know, when people say, let's go to the community, mm. you know what they mean, you know what I mean? They're not saying, let's go to Houghton, let's go to Santon, no, you know, they're saying, let's go to Alex, the community. I wanted to contest that, kind of like explore this word, mm. you know what I mean? There's a sense, and it's part of something you said now, now, there's a sense that, um, African communalism or communal perspectives and orientations in that way minimize the person you know into you know a fungible unit almost you know what i mean like mm. an ant or you know what i mean in that kind of way where okay cool this is the mission you know so for instance most perhaps most recently during apartheid you know to mobilize the masses means to take human beings their whole lives their individuality their hopes and dreams and all of it and turn them into then you know what i mean mm. an object on behalf of the community you know but when you were describing it now you said something very surprising and i think that it really kind of pushes up against that you said it's what you were giving <laughs> for lack of a better word you know not only in the activities that you were interested in participating in but you know what i mean and other kinds of tools physical tools that you mm. may have whether it be muscles or uh, a gentle hand or you know in mm. that way and it's it's kind of rubbishing this idea that in the west you can be a full individual 
you can have all of your existentialism, your self-determination, mm. because there's an individual system. Mm. But in Africa, we, you know, by saying communal system, the connotation often reads as squash yourself, you know, find, you know what I mean? Mm. And I'm just curious. When you and I don't think that's true because we have rites of passages. You know, that we go through with each person from birth. So already from that moment that like your mother is pregnant, then th there is a consideration for you, but also not just for you as an individual, but even with that, like you are, you are ushered through different, and as a, and as a recognition of, of, of the self, right? But things are more connected than they are like in these silos, you know, to say, yes, of course you're a person. And you have your own dreams, your own thoughts, your own aspirations, your own personality, your own whatever. But you're also probably not the first person like that. Based of our, on our experience and our ushering of other people into themselves, mm -hmm. then we can come and engage you with that. Mm -hmm. And that's also important to remember, that you are like a moment along a long lineage, mm -hmm. you know. So you're not the first. You know, especially now when people say I'm depressed, like you think your ancestors were not depressed? You think they didn't have anxiety? You think because you have the word and the access, you're the first one. Mm. And actually, that's probably even your epigenetics showing themselves. That thing is already in your blood. Because I'm sure there are words in our vernacular that speak to that, to the recognition of self as an extension of the community or as part of the community. I recently heard, I was, was told the story about Abangoni and yes. the story of Abangoni. Um, and I'm wondering if you, want to, if you, if you know something about it yeah. and you can share that with us. So where I initiated, right, they, they work with two defined spirits, and I say that in quotation marks, just to also help you understand the process of, of getting a name. Either the ancestor, you will have like spiritual possession, and you will be possessed by the ancestor, and the ancestor will speak and say, my name is Neo, and my surname is so-and-so, mm -hmm. right? Or they will have like drums beat for them and that will help the ancestor like invoke and come up, mm. right? And then through that process, the ancestor says, my name is so-and-so. So where I was initiated, we understand that first ancestor that comes out, right? To be what we call umguni. So they say that, then there's another ancestor called umdao, which we also understand to be a foreign spirit in, in quotation marks. But it's basically a, a spirit that is not from your bloodline because umguni would be from your bloodline. So it would be somebody that there should be a record of. But sometimes these are like people that are so old that nobody even knows who they are, mm. right? But the surname will lead us, yeah. right? To say, okay, so this is person is from, or we know the surname. Maybe there was a, I don't know, an uncle or an aunt who was married or whatever. And then we're like, oh, okay, no, we know the surname, right? Mm. So I had this crisis because my understanding of what Umguni was is the typical understanding of Zulu and Kosa, hmm. to say that those are the Nguni people. But the ancestor that like, revealed herself first was a Mutswana woman. So I'm like, no, man. <laughs> How can this Mutswana woman be a Mguni? Because we understand Abanguni to be mm. Zulus and Kosas. Mm. And then you're like, okay, where does this word come from? And Ngoni people are in the north. So actually, Abenguni are people who came from the north, right into South Africa, right? So you can find them all the way up to wherever, 
my geography is bad, but all the way <laughs> up, right? <laughs> and then you come to the Sututswana word, Bakoni. And it's just a different kind of intonation, not even a different word. It's just a different intonation of the same word. And Bakoni are from where? Because they are also from the north. The separation and the language, the, especially the difference in language, it's just a matter of time. Mm. People migrating at different times, but all coming from a particular place. Abangoni, Abenguni, Lebakoni are actually the same people. I know some people will fight me for that, <laughs> but I'm telling you on an ancestral level, okay, that this is what this is, you know? So, and, and this is also where you realize that, like, the. Um, the separations themselves are like an illusion. Like they're not really mm. real. I think maybe time is the thing that maybe mm. got people tripped up. And even if you think about like how tribes were formed, it was just a bunch of men being mad at each other and mm. then going their own ways. Mm. Mm. They all can like come from a from a root place or yeah. from a similar place or actually from the same place. Mm. <laughs> the other word I wanted to look at was um, the the word Ntu. Um, so we know it from Ubuntu. So we know it from Isintu. We also, I think most recently, Kemang, Ndutu a Makatini, Makatini, in the spirit of Ndutu, mm. you know? Mm. And it's become, you know, something that people are more and more interested in. And I was wondering if you wanted to share Yeah, so I in. think I always like to start with, like, how we can all understand that Uti sing Abantu. As Abantu, there is the governing principle, philosophy, framework of Isintu. And then Ntu can also lead itself to like a starting place. But other people will also say that Ntu is about color, right? Oh. So like brown is like all those kinds of things, you know? Mm. But I mean, I also don't want to speak too much on just Ntu because I don't know that much. Sure. But Abantu and Sintu and Ubuntu, mm. which is the, the thing that makes us Abantu, mm. right? And Ubuntu is about what? It's about the collective. Mm. So if you have Abantu with no Ubuntu, then mm. who are they? Mm-hmm. Right? Because Ubuntu is what defines us as a Bantu. Mm-hmm. To have this this understanding of like this never ending thread of connection, not just mm-hmm. with other people, but with everything that we exist with on the planet. Mm-hmm. The water, the birds, the trees, everything. It, we that was Ubuntu is about that collective understanding, mm-hmm. right? But it's also what makes us a Bantu. It's also what makes us people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Isintu is then the larger kind of framework within mm-hmm. which all of these things happen and the rituals and the ceremonies and all of those other kind of like semantics about sure. like mm-hmm. how to be. But mm-hmm. Ubuntu is like the mm-hmm. this thing. I get that. Yeah. It's almost like um Isintu in in English would be almost the ism of mm. you know what I mean. Mm. You know? Mm. Three questions that I had just to close off here, um, and two of them were the main ones. When you think about it and in, in your own life, can you remember the time where you felt the most free? And whether in actuality you were as free as you felt, sure, but you felt it. Going to my initiation process and then finally graduating. So going, the freedom came from defying my parents you know because like I'm saying I grew up in like this Christian home and and you know also the thing about parents is like despite whatever like their upbringing and stuff I think nobody raises their child to be sangom 
You know what I mean? Like they have their own dreams, their own aspirations, just the history of being ostracized and poverty and those kinds of things. Nobody wants that for their child, right? But I, I had to fight, yeah. you know, for myself and for this thing that I knew, even though my parents, psychologists, pastors, friends, everybody around me was like, nah. Yeah. Like, you know, this is not it, it's this. This is, dreams are just dreams or you've got multiple personality disorder or whatever, the, you know, the things that people came up with for that. Standing in the truth, even if I'm the only person who knows this truth, yeah. my pursuit of that allowed me to be free. And then to do the work that I do, mm. you know, with other people makes me feel more free. Mm. Um, the second question is, can you tell us about something that you were once unfree from, that you are free from now? Men. Also whiteness. Like for a long time, it was an aspiration or was presented to me mm. as an aspiration. And when I even spoke, spoke in the beginning about the unlearning, this is what I had to unlearn. Like yeah. this city capitalist, white supremacist kind of like agenda or like perceived um, aspiration, you know? Um, and I think especially in this country, when we talk about going to Model C schools, hey. going to like certain kinds of things as like the perceived freedom, and then realizing the ways in which that erodes a little bit part of your indigenous self, your deeper mm -hmm. self, your ancient self, mm -hmm. you know? And then going back to where your ancestors have already been giving me that freedom to be like these people I mean I want to say they were always free but we know that systematically they were not but in their being and in their understanding and in their intentions and in their like participation before mm -hmm. because also the other thing we must remember that like colonialism apartheid racism those things are interruptions yeah. you know there's a civilization that has long existed before that moment in time mm -hmm. you know and we have bought into that for such a long time that when we do the work of unlearning and undoing the place in which we come to is a place of freedom the person that you are enables and allows the world that you live in to flourish capitalism and whiteness don't encourage that disinvesting from that gave me freedom and that's mm -hmm. i suppose where I am now. What is something that you are still unfree from, that you either wish or that you are working on being, un being free from? I want to say space. And also just like what space, because also the, the earth itself lends itself so much to who we are. It's seen things, there are rocks older than wow. civilization. To not be able, and especially even as a healer, when I think about like uh, bodies of water where I need to work, most of the good ones are privatized things like how people could work the land to sustain themselves and now yeah. there is no land there yeah. is no land yeah. if we if we narrow it down then it's land but it's actually just about space like mm -hmm. having a place that is yours and that has been the place of other people before you mm -hmm. in your bloodline or in your larger clan or whatever the case and and that like disconnect and discord yeah. um is is the disease that i still feel today mm. Freedom After by the Nelson Mandela Foundation is produced by Showcast Media. An original score 
by Subusile Kaba and cover artwork by Paula Manelli. The Freedom After podcast is supported by the Old Mutual Foundation. My name is Nawo Mohopa. Thank you for listening.